1: again first i'd like to express my gratitude um in being asked to give a dharma talk um i find it enriching and um a little terrifying but it was such an opportunity to be heartfelt connected to the sangha um the last uh, Dharma talk I gave over the summer was about um, the corrosive delusion of control. Um, And I realized while preparing for that talk that it was really two different talks. One was the fantasy that we could control things out there, which was the focus for the last talk. But I realized there was that special case of, um, of self-control where we like we do on the mat uh, on the um zafu we turn the light around um to observe ourselves and i think that sometimes we will in a less than um liberative way will turn around the idea of controlling and think we can control what's inside as well um I'm very moved also with the ceremony celebrating um, our founder, Suzuki Roshi. And I think about what the United States was like when he came and what were the assumptions. Um, And I'm going to acknowledge that the assumptions and cultural conditioning that I'm going to speak to is largely um, middle-class and white. Um, I was in my formative years in Ohio at the time that Suzuki Roshi was beginning to teach in San Francisco. And I imagined that a number of the students that came to him had been conditioned in a way similar to mine. And um, I just want to say something about what, my cultural conditioning was about what self-control was. It was a a positive thing overall. And I think a lot of my association with self-control was that it was an attempt to truncate who we are. Um, To, If I heard the word control yourself, it would mean you were starting to cry and you better stop or that you want to dance and you better not. Um, you look weird that it was this forcing our behavior and our expression into a very narrow band. But there's also the other quality of self-control, which is I'm going for what I want and I'm going to get it. um, There's a lot of things online about self-control and self-help. And um, I'm just going to read one little piece that I think is indicative of uh, an ego-based quality of self-control. Self-control is a skill that helps you achieve what you want in life. Note the word skill. It is something you can work on and improve, which is promising if you're struggling with self-control and often feel your goals are out of reach. This skill requires regulating your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors to achieve specific goals or avoid undesirable outcomes. You're cultivating the power to resist temptation, delay gratification, and maintain a focus on your priorities. So again, it's this pulling yourself up by your bootstraps um, sort of mentality. And I think that there's some metaphors. That, again, exist in um, our cultural conditioning, or again, my cultural conditioning. Perhaps you share. There's that image of a self-made man, which is, in many ways, an- antithetical to to our teachings. Um, that you can somehow um, carve out a place for yourself. And I just want to hold up what that metaphor um, indicates. If you're going to carve out a place for yourself, you're taking a cutting object and whittling away that which is other to make a space for yourself um, it denies that there's any interconnectedness it's it's uh I will gain over others. Those are some of the implications in that kind of metaphor for me. Then there's a quality of when feminism came on the scene, you could grudgingly allow a self-made woman, which is also somebody who could grasp for um, status, grasp for being perceived as distinct from and better than others. Um, and one of the things that very much came out of that was this quality of a critical inner voice that we have a sort of perfectionism or um, a guilt tripping. And I, I want to bring that up in part because in relation to a question that Tigan was asked yesterday, where you had a mother, a struggling mother who was doing her best in her practice. And because somehow she wasn't perfect in her, ability not to feel irritation at times with her eight-year-old child was feeling uh, less than, was feeling guilt-tripped. Um, and I actually want to, to read another little piece that I found on the, on the web. Um, it's, this is from the Driven Woman Network. And here's an article, and the title is, How to Carve Out Space to Work on Your Own Dreams, parenthesis, and keep everyone happy, close parenthesis. So again, the self-made woman was not only supposed to carve out time for her own dreams, but in the process also keep everyone happy, um, which is a fairly difficult uh, task. So that's the one hand of the ego-driven idea of self-control. And on the other hand, I want to talk about some of the classical Buddha Dharma talking about no self. So there's self control. Does that exist? And um, what is the teaching of no self and how do they reflect on each other? So, one of the classic teachings of Buddhism is the three characteristics or marks. Some teachers will add a fourth, but the three characteristics from the early teachings, this is a Pali words, is anika, which is impermanence, that nothing is permanent, everything is always changing, some more slowly than others. Um, then there's a dukkha, which is a suffering or a sense of unsatisfactoriness. Um, this self-control seems to imply that. If you get what you want, then you're going to be happy and I think that the the teaching of dukkha is the getting of your what you want in a, again in the ego-driven sort of way results in unsatisfactoriness that it's not um, you don't relax into a sense of peacefulness or calm you you it just feeds the wanting more which we certainly see in Silicon Valley or a lot of the the people we hold up as being successful. And it's not surprising when we see them fall or behave in unethical ways because I think the framework that they're using is non-sustaining and anything that's not sustained will fall. And then the third characteristic is anatta, um, which is non-self, that that um, all beings are marked by a non-permanent self. We have a, a provisional self, obviously, to to so we can get the shopping done and cook a dinner. Um, but to know that it's provisional is is incredibly important, I, I think, as far as not reifying or making solid something that is not solid. Um, one of the other teachings that we received um, in this country as Buddhism um, made the transition over here is the Heart Sutra that we just chanted. Um, all dharmas are marked by emptiness. They neither arise nor fall, neither increase nor decrease. That. There is
2: that quality of all things having non-self, having that
1: that emptiness. Um, The line that um, spoke to me today as we chanted it was um, with nothing to attain, a bodhisattva relies on prajnaparamita. So we're not doing this self-controlled, goal-oriented, this is what I want to get, I'm going to get it. Um, there's nothing to attain. Um, so that's part of the classical teaching. In Douglas's talk um, recently, during the question and answer, his talk had to do with, at least in part, that ordinary mind is the way. and. In the questioning, there was um, a clarification that ordinary mind is not the karmic consciousness. It's not that ego-driven, I want this, I want that. That ordinary mind is, in some ways, that which sustains everything. Um, It's not the contents of our mind. It's a substrate. Um, And one of the classic metaphors that talk about this is um, the metaphor of the wave versus the ocean the wave versus water that ordinary mind is water it's the water of all things the wave is a temporary form that arises and is going to fall and I think one of the teachers that I've encountered that does the best job, the sweetest job of talking about no self or, uh, is Thich Nhat Hanh. And I've been reading a book um, of his called No Death, No Fear. And he's, he was talking about the, that wave metaphor. And he goes on to say, our true nature is the nature of no birth and no death. We do not have to go anywhere in order to touch our true nature. The wave does not have to look for water because she is water. We do not have to look for God. We do not have to look for our ultimate dimension or nirvana because we are nirvana. We are God. You are what you are looking for. You are already what you want to become. You can say to the wave, my dearest wave, you are water. You don't have to go and seek water. Your nature is the nature of non-discrimination, of no birth, of no death, of no being, and of no non-being. Practice like a wave. Take the time to look deeply into yourself and recognize that your nature is the nature of no birth and no death. And I would go on to say, and he uses the term no self also, no birth, no death is no self, right? Again, another one of his famous bits is he holds up a piece of paper and says, "This, you know, this is the sunshine. This is the trees. This is the effort of felling the trees and turning it into paper. And the truck driver and the gas that went in the truck to get it here. This is full of every being except the piece of paper. It's all of these things come together. That when the conditions are right, right for arising." of something it arises but it doesn't arise with a self it arises as a gift from all other beings um, and another way of saying this i'd like to um bring up something that zen poet wade weekly said recently in a poem and i'll just use the beginning line of the poem that he shared I used to ask myself what kind of person I wanted to become. But lately, I've learned to ask what I want to unmake myself into. And this lovely line is the antidote to the fantasy that you can be a self-made man or a self-made woman. None of us are self-made. We are made as a gift of all other beings.
2: So I propose
1: that we move from the our intention from the ideal of self control to a, a desire for self liberation. And by self liberation, I don't mean the, the self liberating anything, but that the self is liberated, that our true nature is allowed to come forth, that we get to know that we're water. Um, and we interact with the water of the world. We let the water be water. So how do we do this? And again, I feel so grateful that this talk is supported by the memorial service today that, that in our particular Soto lineage, there are innumerable forms to support This knowledge of self liberation. And um, let's see. Oh, here it is. And I would like to read a little piece from um, Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, about bowing. Bowing is a beautiful practice to move from self control to self liberation. And um, Suzuki Roshi said in this talk. Bowing helps to eliminate our self centered ideas. It is not so easy. It is difficult to get rid of these ideas, and bowing is a very valuable practice. The result is not the point, it is the effort to improve ourselves that is valuable. There is no end to this practice. I'm going to skip a little bit to if it is our inmost desire to get rid of our self-centered ideas, we have to do it. When we make this effort, our inmost desire is appeased and nirvana is there. Before you determine to do it, you have difficulty, but once you start to do it, you have none. Your effort appeases your inmost desire. There is no other way to attain calmness. Calmness of mind does not mean that you should stop your activity. Real calmness Should be found in activity itself. We say it is easy to have calmness in inactivity. It is hard to have calmness in activity. But calmness in activity is true calmness. And here comes one of the most beautiful metaphors for me. After you have practiced for a while, you will realize that it's not possible to make rapid, extraordinary progress. Even though you try very hard, The progress you make is always little by little. It is not like going out in a shower in which you know when you get wet. In the fog, you do not know you are getting wet, but as you keep walking, you get wet little by little. If your mind has ideas of progress, you may say, oh, this pace is terrible, but actually it is not. When you get wet in a fog, it's
2: very difficult to dry yourself. So this bowing practice, this
1: willingness to apply yourself again and again to the practice to zazen certainly is is our central um, our central form. And as you do it day after day, you don't perceive the difference but suddenly you realize that you are soaked in Dharma. Um, I also wanna hold up the inmost desire. Um, We think of desire as as sometimes not a good thing that you get rid of suffering by getting rid of desire, but there's the desire that is the desire of the water for the wave, that that it is the true nature and what the true nature's desire is and and here i think that there's i have i i will confess that i have a great faith in buddha nature and that everyone has buddha nature so it's thinning these superficial desires to allow some place for the inmost desire to come out for the truest desire to come out and Another one of our practices, just me check to um, make sure, oh, I'm going a little long. I'm just going to mention vows. Um, our vows, our are um, for those of us wearing a raka suit, um, I'm just gonna hold up the three pure precepts. We take precepts and vows. Um the three pure precepts describe the structure. This is from Reb's um being upright. The three pure precepts describe the structure and fundamental design of the enlightened mind. All Buddha ancestors have vowed to constantly practice them. For those who dedicate their lives to the welfare of all beings, these precepts indicate a straightforward and unobstructive path to realization of their vows. According to the Soto traditions, the three pure precepts evolve from the teaching of all Buddhas, which is one of the best known and most highly revered teachings among all schools of Buddhism. Refrain from all evil, practice all that is good, purify your mind. So that's the original, and then it evolved into the the, the three pure precepts that those in this our lineage um take is I vow to embrace and sustain forms and ceremonies. I vow to embrace and sustain all good. I vow to embrace and sustain all beings. So Again, so much more can be and will be said about vows. Um, But the vows wake us up to our inmost desires. And if taken gently, they're the fog that drenches us in this new way of being, and new way of seeing. So I realized that we need a little time for discussion. And um, so I'm going to end here. I just want to talk about the forms and ceremonies are gifts. The forms and ceremonies today are gifts that we did not give ourselves, but that we received. Our self-control, our self-made personhood did not give us these forms, but we did receive them. And I, for one, am, am grateful. We are not self-made. We are made by all beings, past, present, and future. So I'm going to invite us all to put on our wicking woolen clothing and go walking out in the Dharma fog. And I invite and encourage any responses, questions, or um, reflections.
2: Thank you all. David
3: Ray has his hand up. Hi, Co. Let's see. Okay, I'll, I'll look over here. Right? You're, you're behind me, but I'm looking at the camera. Hi. <laughs> Thank you so much for that wonderful talk. Um, so I'm thinking about self-control, and I kind of want to, you know, raise maybe at least two cheers for it, if not if not a full three. Um, but maybe maybe with a different different term. So I just came from teaching uh, the Dhammapada. Um, which is wonderful and always freaks me out. And there's a poem <laughs> I especially love called "The Elephant," and uh it starts by you know the, the Buddha comparing himself to the elephant when like some hecklers were, were were ragging him, and he says you know it's like it's like putting arrows in an elephant. It just it. it it doesn't do anything but then the chapter goes on to talk about how wonderful it is for an elephant to be tamed and it says okay if you're a tamed elephant you get to go to all these wonderful royal ceremonies and and be honored and have this beautiful life i don't know i just so i feel civilized by the dharma like the dharma is house training me you know house breaking me civilizing me um so you know, I'm 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 wondering what what you think about like so if, if not self control then then some other thing like 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 a like some kind of taming function if, if that makes sense anyway yeah great. taming
1: and teaching are are used um hmm. to describe the dharma that we are taming ourselves but for me and, and again self control is one of those words that can be used several different ways I. Particularly painted it in a negative light, just for yucks um, tonight, mm-hmm. um, but you could also see it if you want to have self control is also the refraining from all evil right that's a sort mm-hmm. of self control um, so there is that taming of the wild selfish mind that we're doing that that is our inmost desire, um, but it's so hard to see it when we're encouraged to be so ambitious when we're encouraged um, through marketing and, and
2: mm-hmm.
1: what your parents think is good for you in what you're carrying in that way. It's hard to be tamed in the way that we long for, I think, as as we come to this practice and we sit day after day. Um. And I also wonder if the elephant likes going to those ceremonies.
3: <laughs> There's a thing I want to say, Cohen, that is that I love watching you um so gently and kindly um tame <laughs> Amaya's uh wild energy. <laughs> yeah. That model.
1: I, I um one of the reasons I I held up the the um the Sangha Member who talked yesterday to Tiigen about the guilt tripping she's not always skillful. I am not always skillful. There are times that that I just want to control her little body and it's it's unpleasant for all of us um and I'm so grateful that I have some teaching, so I have some restraint with that so thanks for um enjoying seeing my relation to my my beautiful and wild little two year old. Um,
2: Hogatsu. You no,
4: know, Ko, uh, thank you so much for offering this talk, which is especially, I was just feeling especially grateful for it because on Wednesday we start our Rohatsu Sashim with. Uh, Five days of sitting, and I think sometimes there's an idea that there's we've got to, you know, put some self-control into that, progr- you know, program of Sashin, and uh, we'll be settling into the ocean. Yeah. blowing the waves. So thank you very much.
1: Yeah, and I'd like to say one more thing about that. So one of the things that I was thinking about was that you do have Sashin coming up. And one of the gifts of these forms and ceremonies is that you don't have, I love seshines or practice periods because I actually don't have to control myself. All I do is surrender to the schedule. And so it's not my will being exerted as I have to come in to the Zendo Five minute, the Han means going to Zendo and sitting down. It's not, there's no struggle. I mean, there's pain, there's exhaustion, there's, you know, all that stuff. But there's something about the gift of that fairly fussy and regimented form that is so soft and tender and liberating. So um, I, I wish you all um, a sweetly liberative time in your Rohatsu Sesshin.
5: Thank you very much. Picking up on, on the self-control idea, I, I was—I've—I've uh, uh, I've had a lot of uh, admonitions to the the toward the negative part of self-control in my day, uh, and as we all have, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, the. Uh, but the the first precept, and I I understand I'm, uh, I I don't have all this memorized, so I I am paraphrasing the 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 embrace of all things good. Did I come close? Yeah, close um,
1: enough.
5: That um, that involves self control too, but it's it's a positive kind of self control and and uh, the uh, very active kind of self control. Uh, you know, it's not it's not don't do this; it's do this and pursue it. You know. Um, we had a, a long discussion in, our, in my AA meeting this morning about uh, uh, about the exercise of will. That then often uh, we we tend to think of some some of the twelve step admonitions as being the negation of will, and it's not. It's mm-hmm. a very it's a very willful practice, uh, a very willing practice, and, and uh, uh, you know, at it's best a very a positive practice. So uh, I just wanted to uh, check in with uh, the other side of that. Coin. I love
1: I I love your um holding up is a willful practice it's a very willing practice and I think that harnessing yourself to your true nature it is a self control it it's a and it's also a releasing of self control it it depends on who yourself is what what self is 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 um is writing the rules if it's your karmic consciousness, if it's if it's a, a diluted sense of of getting grasping, things like that, which tends to grab the driver's seat quite frequently. Um that's a problem. It's is, are you putting Buddha in the in the driver's seat, <laughs> your Buddha nature? If your Buddha nature is in the driver's seat, great. You know, then you have your virya, you have your your paramitas that have great effort and and concentration and things like that but first I think you have to do some real deep discerning of who's calling the shots and to not be the habitual part of us that calls the shots um takes a non-self-control effort it's it's appealing away um because we have all these stories about the the that this is good that I'm doing this. I gotta do this, this is, you have to, you know, so it's so important to see those justification stories and let them quiet um, before you move ahead.
2: Thanks. Good evening
1: good evening
3: uh i I think you may have answered my question, but I'm going to ask it anyway, and maybe you can elaborate further on the topic. but I was wondering if you could um speak a little bit about the uh relationship between
5: control and discipline and surrendering um, in our practice.
1: For me again, the quality of control means you're grasping at something. You're trying to con- you're doing the wrestle as mm-hmm. as opposed to the fog coming in. Mm-hmm. Um the discipline is to keep going. I, I um in the, the piece of Suzuki Roshi's that I read, it's not it's not the results. I think with control, what you want is results. You gotta see results. You need the bottom line. Um, and I think in the practice, it's the sustained effort that's important, regardless of what you see that you just keep moving with it. And there's something about the piece of surrender. Surrender is not flaccid. Surrender is not falling to the floor. You, you can surrender to your heart's desire and you can surrender to the effort and you can surrender to the Rohatsu seshi, um, which is very active, very engaging, mm-hmm. as opposed to implying a conceptual outcome that you're wanting to create.
2: Thank you.
1: Uh, I think Asian has a comment.
0: Ah, okay. Um, one of the things that I think happens when we sit is that we develop a much greater familiarity with cause and effect uh, in, on a very deep level. And I wonder if that's part of, or maybe you could speak to um, how you feel that fits in here with the taming of things and, and surrendering.
2: I think that until you look deeply at cause and effect, you don't even know what the playing field is. Um, that, that Zazen trains us to be present with everything that arises. That, and everything arises has
1: if you can look deeply into it, you see the causes and you see the direction that's flowing from it. I am not getting this very clear. Um, What do you think? My mind is not going to come up with anything that's cogent. (laughs) I am noticing my mind um, becoming exhausted. What do you think, Aishin?
0: You know, you just described it when you, in that, in, in the moment that just passed, when you said, you know, I'm not getting it, you know, my, my mind is, is, you know, maybe you're, you're getting tired or, you know, whatever. But I, but I think that, um, I do think that as we more deeply see cause and effect, it, it helps us recognize that we're not in control, that we, um, we do have, you know, we have to exercise some um, control to bring us ourselves to practice, but then we also, um, you know, have to get out of the way. Like yeah, larger forces that we, that we maybe grow more familiar with, you know, as, as we sit that we can harmonize with.
1: That's a beautiful word harmonize that we're not trying to control it that we are harmonized is contrary to carving yourself out a, a niche, niche or a, a place you're coming into harmony with all beings around you and that carries you too there's a certain control in not if it's control it's an anti-control but it's a it's a way of merging and joining with intention with that willingness that Joe mentioned
2: uh it's about time to wrap up perhaps Jerry can have the last word
4: i i was thinking about what you Haitian were just talking about i was struck by the um walking in the fog mm-hmm.
2: and
4: getting wet in the fog and it's difficult to dry yourself when you're wet by the fog. And there's, the thing about walking in the fog is you're going to get wet no matter what you want to do. <laughs> you just have to walk in it and you get wet. And it's sort of like, it, it's, it, it reminds me a lot of like Zazen because if you sit Zazen regularly, it, it doesn't really matter what you think you're doing or what you want to do or how you want to go or wh- whether you think it's good, bad, and different. You just sit, and it, it, the fog just gets you wet. And once you get wet, you're not going to dry off anytime soon.
1: <laughs> Thank you for that beautiful commentary on the Suzuki Roshi metaphor. Um, that was lovely.